Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this podcast, which is an abridged version of the television interview that I did with Jimmy Carr as part of my In Conversation series for W. This podcast is brought to you by UKTV Play the free on-demand service. Tonight, I'm going to be in conversation with an award-winning television presenter and comedian whose comedy has been known to push the boundaries and split audiences. His financial affairs have also made the headlines even being debated in the House of Commons. Tonight, I'm going to be in conversation with Jimmy Cole. I would say lovely to be here. This is going to be great when it's finished, I would imagine. <laughs> this is... The, you know what? I, I wanted something like this, something nice and warm and intimate, because most of the time, as you know, when you do a kind of interview show, you're either on a couch or you're, you're separated, so... That's where the whole faux brickwork came in. Yeah, well, it's kind of creation walls. It's like a classic comedy club look. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's always kind of the brick wall behind just the microphone. That's always the very kind of scaled back. Exactly. And for for the guests that we've got on, for some that's not the, the world that they live in. But for you, of all the guests that we've had on, even the comedians, you are someone who, who spent most of his life in comedy clubs. When I say most of his life, you spent more of your life by choice in comedy clubs than anywhere else. Yeah, I did kind of. I, well, I feel like we. We have a similar kind of trajectory. We both came to it a little bit late. Yeah. And yeah. then it felt like, oh, we found this great thing. And then it was like the enthusiasm for it. I think a lot of people, when they find what they want to do very early, they can't help but take it for granted. Your style of comedy and your approach to comedy was something that, before I got to know you as well as I do now, I always thought, okay, you do the comedy so that you can host television shows. Um, because your career on television has been so prolific and came so fast. It came like three years after you started. Everyone, I think, could, could be excused for saying that's what he does as a job and the comedy's a side thing. People within the industry, you are known as the hardest working comedian. You do over 200 dates a year and that's why I say your commitment's the hardest working the man in comedy. It's a bit, come on. It's not like Britain's tallest dwarf. It's not really. <laughs> it's not really a thing. It's like I mean, come on. You know how lazy everyone else is. Maybe I'm phrasing this wrong. I think. Well, I know what you mean. I mean, comedy came first, and then everything else is gravy. So I think people put like the perception of people when they look at you, when you get interviewed by people that aren't comics, yeah. they go, "Oh, you're a TV host. Oh, you also do stand up." And you go, "No, no, I do stand up." And then other stuff happens, and that's lovely. But all of that's decided by someone else. The great thing about stand up is you plant your own garden. You, yeah. you, you know, you write a show and you book a room, and people come and you find your audience, and then that's that. You, you're kind of self-sustaining. Whereas with TV. It's a it's a group you know effort. It's a team sport. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you can just be on your own on stage and, and and you know you can just do your own thing. It's kind of it's sort of lovely. But but with stand up, most stand ups want to be liked. 
most stand-ups do so that they be like so that they are liked whereas your stand-up is a stand-up that pushes it i mean you do this thing when you do swords where you go right i'm going to build up now to the most offensive joke of the night so you are prepared to push the boundaries but it's still about being liked i mean i think every comedy show is about the same thing it's every comedy show should mm. be called please like me yeah i'm and, desperate yeah. <laughs> there is a little thing in yeah. fact, some of the titles of your shows barefaced ambition and so it is like i'm ambitious but please like me i do yeah. want to be like, well, it is that thing, though, where you... I mean, I, my favourite quote about laughter is that, that thing I often say, it's laughter is the shortest distance between two people. And the idea that when you laugh together, it's, um, it's remote tickling, is what it is. You're, yeah. you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of grooming each other, for want of a better term, in this day and age. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're sort of... You're making someone... And especially with men, I think men are very bad at communicating emotionally. And jokes, essentially, it's a way of saying, I like you and I want you to like me too. So yeah. you tell a little joke and you share a little moment. And I think doing that with the audience, I think the reason I've pushed the envelope or done sort of controversial jokes isn't, isn't sort of... I didn't sit down when I started doing comedy going, right, I'm going to be like a one-liner comedian and tell quite brutal jokes. I just, that's my sense of humour. That's the stuff that really makes me laugh. And then it's that thing of wanting to share that with other people and wanting them to laugh. And then you find people with the same sense of humour as you. There's a lovely moment when you're on stage in sort of a 2,000-seater where you go, right, everyone in here has sort of got the same sense of humour. Yeah. We'd all be mates if we went to the same school or went to the same... Or worked in the same place. We'd all be friends because we'd all laugh together. That would be the little click. It's a lovely kind of... It's quite a nice thing. It's a real sense of... I think that's why people want to come out to see comedy, because they spend their lives a little bit alienated and looking at screens. And then when you come out to see a comedy show, when you come out to see a TV record, you're sitting in a room and you're, you're laughing together and you feel part of a group. It's a lovely, it's a very warm, kind of communal, tribal feeling. For me, though, when you're talking about that communal sharing of, of, a, of a sense of humour, it is great when you're on tour and people have bought a ticket for you. Hmm. But as you know yourself, when you start out and you're finding your audience and you, you're turning up and you're a name on a bill, there's always a chance that you are going to say something that alienates off the room as well. So that's where the bravery, I think, in that style of comedy comes into it. Because yeah, you've got to be prepared yeah. to lose as many of the audiences you win over. Well, I suppose it's that thing of the go... I, I, I like to think of it, I write the show and the audience edit the show. And audiences are remarkably consistent. I often quote the Lenny Bruce thing, the audience is a genius. Some notable exceptions in here, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the audience is a genius. The audience decide what is and what isn't funny, and they decide what is and what isn't acceptable. And if you can come up with a joke, if it's something very controversial, something very taboo, that joke needs to be so good to justify being there. You know, so if you do a joke and it's, it's observational stuff about everyday life and, you know, you can never find odd socks, whatever that thing is yeah. that's, that's not going to offend anyone, then it becomes... That's, that be, that's a lovely kind of warm comedy that everyone can relate to. If you're going to tell jokes about something really taboo, you know, then it's got to, it's got to be good to justify being there because otherwise it's yeah. just going to No, I, I totally agree people. with you. In your shows, you find people guiltily laughing. Yeah, off. it is that. It is that kind of. Um, I suppose if you want to be all clever about it, it's cognitive dissonance. Mm. It's that idea of having two thoughts in your head at the same time, and your sense of humour is more of a part of you, I think, than your conscience, because you laugh straight away. It's like a reflex. You don't choose what you laugh at. I think there's a lot of people that would like to laugh at, you know, I don't know, Private Eye, kind of highfalutin satire. Yeah. They would go, well, that, that'd be a great thing to find funny, and actually. They like, you know, Benny Hill. And fart that, jokes. And yeah. that's, what, that's what really makes them laugh. Yeah. And it's like a reflex. You laugh at it. And then my favourite noise in comedy is when people laugh. And then, and then there's a... <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> what, have I, what have I done? And it's, it's a little bit guilty and it's, it's fun and it's, it's kind of pushing that... Uh, I don't know what it, what it kind of tickles, but there's a... It scratches an itch. It's a really lovely kind of feeling. And it's also that feeling of intent being important. And people get that. Yeah, absolutely. 
For you, the joy, the love of comedy is, I don't think is, has ever been understood by people because you don't come across as a comedy anorak, you come across as somebody who's just intelligent, who can do it and is quite flippant with your audience. And you're not like that at all. You, you are... I'm pretty into it. You I really like very, it as very, a... What was the turning point? What was the thing that actually got you into comedy? You know, as a child, were you a funny kid? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the thing that got me... My mother was incredibly funny. Yeah. She was, like, properly, properly funny. And, like, not with jokes. She just had funny bones. She was just always kind of the life and soul. And it's, it's a very attractive kind of uh, quality. It's, and you're close to someone and you kind of see that you know, people kind of gravitate towards them. So there was a very high, I suppose, worth put on comedy yeah. in our house, on being funny, on being, being able to take a joke and being able to be funny with people. And so but I kind of assumed growing up, Comedy was kind of the that was the that was your ante for being friends. That was the yeah. Well, if you couldn't make them laugh, then I guess hang out with someone else. Just yeah. but but also you're in a house of three boys. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's always you know I, we've got uh, three boys in our house. There's always uh, a battle among sons uh, because boys are boys, aren't they? There's a rough and tumble. So humour is is a great icebreaker amongst the lads. Was it yeah. the same in your house? Um, I, th I don't think as much. No, I don't think so. It was it was much more. Uh, my mother was kind of very much the um, a matriarch yeah. within the within the family, and she was really funny and sort of drew a lot of people in. So I mean, a lot of my childhood friends were very close to my mum, would, like, spend time... Like, you'd sort of come home from university and they'd be at, at your house having tea with your mum. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> having a chat, chilling out. And was, was your dad funny? Was it always your mum who carried yeah, my the mum was kind of the... She was the, like, she really had a, a larger-than-life... It's a weird thing. I mean, I suppose, uh, you know, you always kind of, uh, you know, put people on a pedestal, I guess. Uh, but, no, she was g genuinely brilliantly funny. If you ever said anything nice to her, this is, like, in microcosm, if you said, oh, you look nice, she'd go, I look like a whore at a christening. <laughs> I never had any perception in my life that swearing was bad because yeah. she would, she, I mean, she would openly use the C word with teachers at the gate. <laughs> she also had uh, narcolepsy, so, but she didn't have uh, sleep narcolepsy. She, when she laughed, she would lose kind of control. She'd lose kind of muscular control. So if you made her laugh, she wouldn't make any noise at all. I mean, I've got a ridiculous laugh, I can talk. Yeah. But she would properly, if you made her laugh, like properly laugh, she would kind of just kind of collapse. I've like, had audience members and, like and that. She, like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a different thing. You've got to cut down the length of those stories. <laughs> the, the, but she'd properly collapse. So it was like the most joyful thing was if you could make her laugh, she would just go, stop, and then <laughs> collapse. It was just, it was kind of lovely. Because that was something that I, I read as well um, about you, which really quite surprised me, is that you, your mum and dad uh, were Irish. They were Irish immigrants that came. Yeah, I've got an Irish passport. I, I'm Irish, essentially. I know, because you are probably the least Irish-looking person that I know. <laughs> and I don't even know what I mean by that. Come on, that's, that's the potato with hair. I know. <laughs> um, but I don't know whether yeah. it's your accents or, or, or my assumption of your background based on your accents and the fact my, that you went my to My line Cambridge. on it was always the, uh, you know, a plastic paddy is what I am. Yeah. You know, because Irish parents, Irish passport, but I speak and present myself in this way because I was raised and educated in the home counties. Goes to show what you can do when you apply yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> which, which doesn't go down brilliantly in Dublin, but it's worth a shot. <laughs> so your mum and dad came over together? Early 70s, yeah. Yeah, but they were married when they came over. You were born yeah. here. Yeah. Born in, yeah, West London, yeah. Yeah. And you spent summers over in Ireland. Yeah. 
so kind of spent six weeks there and always felt a little bit other, I suppose. Yeah. Because you sort of, you were very aware that your mum didn't sound like everyone else's mum at school and you were kind of, you know, you know an immigrant family and living in Slough. Um, so you were very, kind of aware of being a little bit different, which made, made you feel quite special as a kid. Yeah. It was quite nice. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask, actually. If you were spending your summers in Ireland mm. and being English, yeah. But being perceived almost Irish whilst you were in England, did you? Because well, what you go find... back to Ireland and you'd go, everyone in Ireland would go, oh, the, the, the two English brothers, and yeah. then you go back to London and we go, oh, you sound Irish. Yeah. Well, I mean, we must fit in somewhere. But that's what you find. You live on the ferry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you find, isn't it, with comedians? There's always there has been a little bit in the life where they've been an outsider of a group. Uh, uh, you know. I can... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, actually, that the psychology of laughter, and there's obviously it's very pleasing to sort of the tears of a clown kind of cliche. I don't really mm. see that much, but I do see a lot of comedians, if I had to make a guess about a comedian, they, they've normally got um, someone they were very close to as a child that they had to make laugh. Yeah. Whether it was um, someone that was sick or someone that was depressed, but they had a family member that they making them laugh was a, was a very important part of their life. That tends to be something that, that, that I think a lot of comedians can kind of relate to. Yeah, for you, it was your mum. Yeah. But your mum sadly died, really, before she saw you make this a profession. Well, she got to see me leave my job. Yeah. Which was, I think, what she wanted. I think she really kind of liked that, the idea of just going, yeah, just, I'm leaving. Don't worry about it. I'll be fine. I'll do. I'll think of something. Did you talk to her much about it? Not much. I mean, I think she just. She kind of thought it was. She had a very sort of bizarre idea of kind of. I said, oh, I think I might want to try and do comedy. She went, yeah, she'd be on telly. All oh, right, okay, I'll do that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll phone up the telly yeah, and say. I'll phone up the telly and say, I'll can come I be on? on. <laughs> well, she was fucking right. <laughs> I mean, she was a hundred percent right. But somehow, organically, she just kind of went, yeah, she'd be on telly. Yeah, fine. Yeah, do that. Yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be yeah. fine. It'll work out. I think it was that thing of, like, uh, that she really liked the idea of, I think, taking a chance and, you know, running off and joining the circus. I'm sure there's some, some Romany blood in there somewhere. Yeah. The idea of just go, well, yeah, go and do it, it'd be fine. And I think, actually, up to that point, I'd really... I'd, I'd sort of done what was very much expected. And so to leave and just to go, all right, I'm not going to do any of that anymore, was really kind of freeing. When you then faced all that controversy with the, the taxation and David Cameron quoting you and... It seemed to me quite apparent that people attacked your persona because he just thought, well, it, he's, we don't know anything about him. He tells jokes, so let's just have a go at him as a person. Yeah, it was a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting time, that, because I think a lot of people assumed I wouldn't care. Yeah, that's that, what like, I mean. A lot yeah. of people just went, oh, it would be fine, he won't, he won't care about that. And it was really kind of... It's, an, it's, an, it's a weird thing to go through when you're on the cover of the paper. You really find out who your friends are. Yeah. You really, I mean, I remember you on the day tweeting a very supportive thing and kind of going, all right, OK. That, but you, you remember all of them. You remember the people that didn't call, the people that did call. You remember, yeah. you know, the people that go, I mean, I you know, made a mistake, clearly, and I paid it all. But you kind of go, well, that's sort of too little too late for a lot of people that kind of made up their, their mind about you. But it's quite an interesting thing to go through. Oh, and it's yeah. And it's surprising, actually, because your persona is so kind of brutal. They assume you'll just you go, You could oh. take it. Yeah. And that, that's what struck me about it. And for clarity, for, for people who are not familiar, you, you were part amongst a number, thousands of investors, in, in, a, in a scheme called K2, which was then was not illegal, but then was deemed to immoral. be immoral. So it was tax. Um, it wasn't tax evasion. It was tax avoidance. Yeah. Of which, I mean, it would appear now when the, the, the it subsequently everyone you've ever heard of, everyone in uh, sport, yeah. everyone in entertainment, has uh, done something to mitigate their tax bill. But I was doing it quite aggressively, um, through just I, I suppose a lack of judgment, but also not really thinking about it. You know, the accountant calls you and goes. 
Do you want to pay less tax? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds excellent. OK, what do we have to do? Well, nothing. You don't have to do anything. Just sign a thing. Sign Done. a thing and we'll do it. Yeah. And then you, can't, you go, well, fine, OK, I'll, I'll give that a crack. But why was it you that became singled out? That's what, I, that's what I was trying to get to. Because you had this persona of being a hard person, do you think that was why they went, well, there's a whole list of names. I'll tell you what, let's just focus on Jimmy Carr. I don't know. I don't know. I suppose... I, I think it's maybe just, you know, th those are the way that the cards fell. I don't think there was any... I don't think there was any malice in it. Yeah. And I think the world's changed fundamentally since that happened. I think no-one's doing that anymore. No. No-one is... No-one's kind of doing anything like that anymore. No, people just... You know, so I think it was... It was a scandal that needed to happen, and I happened to be the face of it. It's not, you know... But... The face of it on a completely different level. I mean, people who was Gary who... Barlow was the same week. Yeah, and no one that like that was it was. That's a different what I was thing. going to say. I mean, Gary Barlow. He's Barlow's quite beloved. He's a national but, treasure. And <laughs> but to me, that's what I was looking at. Um, you know, Gary Barlow didn't receive the comments from the prime minister. Wasn't debated in the Houses of Parliament. I mean, it, yeah, it, but I didn't write back for good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got to remember. To be fair, David Cameron may have made love to the sound of Gary Barlow. Yeah. Right? I don't think he has to your jokes, but <laughs> that might yeah. have had something to do with it. So, yeah, th but that's what I mean, was the bit where you... Where you oh, well, isn't there, isn't there a thing, I mean, while, you know, while we're on the to topic of this, I, th I don't think anyone, for a second, any footballer that's ever done anything like I've done, and most of them have, yeah. it would appear, no-one blames the footballer. No. Everyone goes, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, they're financial guy did that. What does, what does Wayne Rooney yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. He's, he's probably just signed a thing, he's fine. He's probably, he's probably an idiot. And a lot of them are very bright. I know a bunch of footballers, are, you know, a lot of them are very bright. Very some bright, of them yeah. so much. And, but you assume that they didn't know what they were doing. Whereas I think with me, you assume, oh, he probably, he probably came yeah, up with a scheme. He went to Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no fucking clue. That's what Literally, he went, I will went, sign anything. He went to Cambridge, he, he speaks with a posh yeah. voice. He, he, yeah. He's obviously intelligent. As you say, he probably came up with the scheme. And, that, and, that's, and that was the thing that struck me about it, is that, you know, you then used your profession because you, you, you dealt with heckles about it and you managed it, but you never, from what I can see, sought to deflect the blame and went, oh, hang on, it's not just me, what about him, 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 him? You just went, OK, if there's a punching bag, I'll accept it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, but you know you did... You know you did something that was, you know, morally very questionable and you kind of go, well, OK. Yeah. You know, and you, and you just have to man up, you know, go on tour, pay it all back. Yeah. Which, to be fair, you've done, there's no question about that. But what did you learn about you as a person through that? Well, you think you're going to be nails hard. You know, you think you're going to be fine, cos everything, you're floating along, everything's great. Suddenly you're on the front page of the paper and you're kind of... You, you suddenly have this thing, it makes you very grateful for what you've got. Mm. And then it makes me more grateful now that I've still got it. Because there's a chance, you know, David Cameron was at the G20 conference, came out and did a press conference. We just talked about me and my personal tax affairs, which he's not really meant to do as the Prime Minister. Um, but looking at it now, I've still got my job. I would have said, uh, uh, and I've never fucked a pig, but that's not... <laughs> <laughs> not strictly speaking true. This podcast is sponsored by UK TV Play, the free on-demand service, where you can watch the TV shows you love from Dave, Yesterday, Really and Drama, wherever you want, whenever you want. The home of BAFTA-nominated series Taskmaster and the critically acclaimed Red Dwarf, alongside other UK TV Play exclusive, including The White Princess and Most Haunted.
UK TV Play offers free access to thousands of hours of comedy, drama, documentaries and paranormal TV. All for free. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. At the time, as I say, you became this focus yeah. For 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 loads of media attention, and and it became a byword, and you, it's all cleared and so on. But you're also your your partner Caroline was put under your whole life was put under the spotlight. Yeah. How important was it having somebody like her next to you who understood the world? Because that's often when, yeah, when, I mean, when someone's when you... in show business, if their partner doesn't understand it, that's difficult. No, to I think it's these that thing where you go. Yeah, I've got people around me that I'm very close to. Mm. They just went, yeah, you know, you're going to be okay. Mm. You're going to be able to handle this. But you really do find out. I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of horrible because you find out who your friends are and you value that more than you can say. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you ne- you'll never forget the people that kind of reached out around that time. But then you also find out the people that are kind of gleefully, oh, he got brought down a peg or two. Good. Mm. Oh, all right. Yeah. I, I, I've got to ask you this. Uh, the way you met Caroline, because she worked in the industry and she was yeah. a producer, you went for a for a, a job and I, I I heard you tell this story. Well I mean, and, I'll, and I'll tell it again. I like it. It's you yeah, know, it's no the, no it's you the... don't like it as much as I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well I went I went for an audition for something. She was working at a, a TV company and there was an idea for a panel show and I was quite new in comedy and she'd come to see me uh, I I she'd come to see me at the comedy cafe and she knew some of the Canadian comedians because she's Canadian and she'd come to see me or whatever and I had a terrible set. I mean really not great. And, uh, and then I went in for, like, a meeting with her. So I was aware that she'd been to see the show, and then she had a meeting with her. And I, I'm not, like, a romantic in any way. I mean, I'm not. And I just knew. I just thought, she's amazing. And, uh, and then she had to write notes on me, and she did not feel the same. <laughs> she wrote, he is a one-note comedian with the eyes of a rapist. <laughs> and this is, this is the woman I love, by the way. This is not... This is not someone that dislikes me now. But they, she just went, yeah, I don't... I mean, he's just... No, don't get it. Don't get it at all. And then I just sort of... I don't know. I suppose... I suppose you would call it stalking in this day and age, but I... <laughs> it's stalking you, that went very well. How would you win someone over if that's their first impression? I just went... I kind of just knew. I remember calling Hannah, my manager, I remember calling Hannah sort of straight after the meeting, going, I can't work with her. She's just... She's lovely, but I can't think when she's around. <laughs> She was, you know, I just kind of knew. Her. Yeah. She was kind of great. But then, I mean, she's still, we've still got the little bit of paper, the little. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Does it come out every time? There's an yeah. argument. Hang I on. was right! <laughs> yeah. She's... But she, she's obviously, she's been involved in the industry, and you mentioned that she was from Canada, because that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is that your, 
your step into North America. You, know, you spent a lot of time, probably more than any of the other British comedians that I know in recent years, going backwards and forwards and building a presence in America. What is it that draws you there? Well, I suppose it's that thing of, OK, I'm very aware and very grateful to have the best job for me. I'm a comedian, it's brilliant. But what keeps that fresh? You know, 15, 16 years into being a comedian, mm. what keeps you, you know, excited about this job? Because everything gets routine. You know, walking on stage gets to be a routine. You're less nervous than you used to be. It's kind of nice to be nervous. And it's nice to have that feeling walking out and going, well, I'm not preaching to the choir here. Yeah. These are new converts. Half of them don't know who I am. Let's try and make this work. So touring the world, so last year I did 34 countries, so it's not just North America, I mean, I did everywhere. And it just makes it feel fresh again, it just makes it feel new, it's exciting. You're travelling the world telling jokes. It's the, it's like the perfect job. But how do you balance that with your home life, having a relationship, trying no, to keep it We haven't got kids, so that, there's that, you know, that's, that's much, it's much easier for me to travel than I think, mm. you know, you've got, you got three kids to look after and you've got to be around for that kind of stuff. So. You can you can travel a great deal and and a very understanding partner of but also she gets to come on lots of the trips if yeah. I go somewhere interesting she'll come yeah because that's what I was saying like she's in the industry so she's mm. got an interest in it yeah w would it change all that if you had kids I think so yeah I think you'd want to you'd want to be there yeah you'd want to be kind of present um, but I mean. I don't know. Yeah, it might be a reason to go. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, Who did that? I know, I know one comedian when he had, I think he had two kids and then his wife was giving birth to his third and he uh, mentioned, you know, he put a tour in. Oh. He put a tour in, it just on the, on the basis that I need some lions. <laughs> the first six weeks is going to be terrible, I'm going to be on the road. Oh, so well, suddenly the travel lodge in Swindon looked like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> I, I've got to ask you this as well. Uh, it comes back to what we were talking about before in terms of jokes and pushing the envelope. Do you ever worry that you're going to upset people? And I, and I say this specifically um, because you have made a few jokes where there are people involved. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I suppose my line on it is always, you know, I'm telling jokes to an audience that have bought into me, that have paid to be there in the theatre. Yeah. I'm not shouting them through people's letterboxes. Is, the, is kind of the defence, is going, you're not, you're not kind of pushing your jokes onto other people, but then, you know, they appear on TV, and when press report on it, sometimes you can worry, you know, freedom of speech doesn't mean it's free of consequence. Yeah. You know, so you want to be free to say whatever you want, but there's going to be consequences if you say certain things, and when it's taken out of context, I, it does upset me that, that you go, well, that joke, you didn't report a joke in the, in the paper because you took away the timing and you took away the laughter and you, took, and you just used... And it was um, written down on the page in the Daily Mail. It's quite a brutal line. Yeah. And then you phoned up, a, you know, a bereaved parent and said, do you think this is funny? No, of course they didn't think it was funny. But, you know, it's, it's, it was within that context it really worked. Yeah. And then you took it out of that and you... So you do worry about... I mean, you know, you'd have to be fairly heartless to sort of go, well, I don't care what anyone thinks. But then I do see the joy in an audience in laughing at things. I do see that, I think, net-net, you make the world a slightly better place being a comedian. Yeah. Because people release endorphins and they feel good and they laugh. But is there the any area where you go... Because like, I know you've done stuff, which is quite... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of comedians were doing stuff because it was such a big news event, things like Diana and so on, but then you still got asked to do the Royal Variety Show, so someone's obviously gone, that was a joke, we can we can accept it as a joke, even though, and still invited to do the Royal Variety. Maybe they didn't know. 
Maybe they didn't know. <laughs> Maybe the research isn't what it could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose that thing where you go, I've told a lot of... I've told so many jokes as well in... Because of the volume of material that I do in a yeah. show, there might be 200 jokes in a show. I think partly you get away with more because of the volume that you do. Because they get that it's just another joke. And that story that ran... I mean, you, it, sort of, it still runs maybe once every six months, maybe once a year now, not as often, of, like, Comedian Tells Joke. That's yeah. the newspaper story. Comedian Tells Joke. Here it is out of context. We found two people to be offended. All right. Yeah. Well, I played to half a million people on that tour, so if two people were offended, I reckon those are pretty good odds. Yeah. I'll take that. Uh, every time we have people on the show, we ask them to bring a photograph on that, that, that's important to them or means something to them. Th this is the picture that, that you've brought. That's, uh, that, that's... I'm on the left. <laughs> <laughs> that's me on the left, and I've, I've put on a lot of weight since then. That's your mum? Yeah, that's me and my mum. What, what, what made you pick I don't know, that I, 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 Literally, you kind of asked, and I never look through... I don't look back a lot. I don't kind of... I'm not one of those... I don't, I'm not sentimental. Uh, or maybe I'm too sentimental. I find it quite painful. So Ooh. I very rarely look back. But I, I sort of opened an old photo album today and saw that and just thought, oh, it's really, it's really nice. That's kind of how I remember her looking. Uh, and then just thought it was, a nice, it was a nice thing. And I think a lot of my sense of humour, a lot of my life is from that. From, from your mum? Yeah, she was just so fun. Not your dad. Your dad no. had no influence on your, your personality. Not my... Well, I mean, I'm sure an influence, but, um, you know, there's plenty of negative aspects. Uh, but that was a joyful yeah. part of my life. Yeah. Because I, I suppose that, that thing about, about having, having someone that you said in your family that you, made, you wanted to make laugh... You, you wanted to make everything OK, and I suppose that's the sound of laughter, isn't it? You sort of... So, I associate it with everything being OK. Yeah. Everything. So any tension in the house, any kind of um, aggression or, or people feeling kind of on edge was taken away with laughter. And so it was her being funny or me being funny or making each other laugh and making everything OK was a very joyful thing. And then that to become your job is a dream come true. Yeah. And so without, without your mum, do you think you would have been a comedian? No, I don't think so. I don't think you would have... No, I don't think. You don't think you would... I suppose, for what you're saying there, if it breaks tension in the house hmm. or it removes... And maybe it. that's why I'm drawn to that darker side, because when you talk about those issues, you know, we talked about the stuff you can't joke about, the stuff you can joke about, the stuff that's very taboo and edgy and I can do on stage at a tour show, it is about... It's a fast route. When you mention one of those topics, it's a fast route to tension. Mm. As soon as you mention... You know, if you mention immigration, suddenly an audience go, oh! What's he going to say? I mean, it's, it's not anything offensive, it's not anything with an agenda, but it's like the release of that is such a wonderful moment of that tension's gone. And then the next setup builds up more tension, then you release again. And it's almost a microcosm of that first great experience with laughter of being at home and there being tension and then people laughing and it being okay. But, but where was, was the tension just in the house? Yeah, yeah, there was a bit of tension in the house. You know, growing up, it was a bit, yeah. you know. And so. You clearly don't want to talk about it. Do we well, just no, I think that's a, it's a it's a it's difficult a, it's thing to talk a about. It's also, thing, yeah. but it's but there was pl it's not like it was a uh, you know a tough uh, upbringing. I had a very easy life compared to what most people have, but there was a lot of tension. And, and actually, my mum being funny made everything okay. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't and I don't want to dive into it. It's just that that thing that you you the way you described needing the tension to make the humour work almost. Yeah. That, that's why I was interested in it, because if you, if you were existing in a house where there was tension and your mum and dad did split up and so on, so there's obviously... That doesn't happen without there being tension on the way. If you've, if you've experienced the joy of laughter within that vortex, then that's presumably what you, you, you move towards when you're trying to create that same feeling. 
Yeah, I suppose. And you're kind of chasing that high, I suppose. Yeah. Chasing that kind of that release and that lovely feeling of laughter and everything's kind of okay. You know, and life could be like that. Life can be, you know, it's not all, you know, sweetness and light. Um, but I suppose, in a way, I suppose what you do on stage as well, the stakes, you raise the stakes in a different way because instead of mentioning a taboo topic, you sort of let people into your life and, yeah. and, and you sort of, you feel a bit drawn in and you sort of mention Mel and you mention the kids and then you suddenly know, you know, the search history on the computer or whatever, there's a huge tension. You kind of let people into, into your life yeah, and they go, the, oh, the, God, the, I know. There is, and at times, to be honest with you, when I'm doing it, at times I'm thinking, I don't know these people. Why am I, why am I talking like this? Yeah. Why am I mentioning my wife's name? Why am I saying... But I, I'm a bit like you. I don't know another way to do it. Yeah, it doesn't, only... wouldn't, doesn't feel right any other way. And with you, I can see with you, particularly uh, when you refer to to your mum, and that, that's that's the way that you created joy by needing to have something to break, a bubble to burst almost. Yeah. The difference, I guess, is that I was lucky enough that my mum and dad are still here, so with the journey that I've gone on, they, they've shared and they've seen. Yeah, that'd be a nice thing. Yeah. It, that thing of the, the, you know, making someone proud. But I don't think you ever lose that. You have people in your life that you, that maybe fill that void a little bit. Mm. I mean, you don't specifically think about it, but the, I don't think anyone ever, I think you'd be crazy if you kind of go through life and you don't have father figures or you don't have mother figures kind of within your life that you want to kind of impress and kind of, I did this, what do you think? You know, that, you know, it becomes friends and it becomes, you know, you, yeah, you become it. drawn to certain people that have got that kind of attribute. But that, that, that one person who's gone, and for you, as a child, you were brought up as a Catholic, so you were brought up with a faith, you were brought up with an idea that there would be... the spirituality would still be there. When you lost your mum, did you, did you go, well, that's it, it's not there? Or is there no, something I, I, within you now I, that I, kind I, of feels she does see all Really, this? really annoyingly, I lost my faith about <laughs> 18 months before she died. So, I mean, I'm, I'm an atheist. And it, it was really, I really miss it. Yeah. I really miss that kind of... People never really talk about that, but the certainty of faith, it's a really nice thing to have faith. I'm quite jealous of people that believe. I mean, I don't. I just, you know, the way I talk about it, I used to... When I was a kid, I had an imaginary friend. I used to talk to him. I used to think he could hear me and he could grant me wishes. And then I grew up and I stopped going to church. Yeah. And that's... It's a sad joke for me, in a way, because you kind of go, oh, right, it was, it was good, that. What, what was the bit that made you lose faith? Because you were quite specific then, saying it was about 18 months. Yeah, it was, quite, it was a gradual thing. I mean, it didn't happen, like, in a day. But it was, like, a gradual thing of going, well, if I'm right about this, if Catholicism is correct, everything else is bullshit. Mm. And I couldn't live with that. I couldn't say that, oh, well, that's nonsense. Oh, that's nonsense. Oh, that's, a, that's that faith. Oh, these guys are crazy. Yeah. And the idea of going, oh, maybe we're all right. It seemed much more plausible. You know what? Maybe we're all wrong. Yeah. And then you start to read more about it, and, and it's kind of it, it kind of just fell apart. But to lose it and then and then lose your mum, because as you say, there's a reassurance if you've got faith, because you could go, well, it's okay, my mum's here in spirit, or or you can see it, or you know that gift that she gave oh, wow. you. Yeah, but maybe on. you know maybe the I mean not to be I'm not not a spiritual kind of guy, but that idea of going, well, if she gave me the gift of laughter, and then that's what I do with my life, then that's enough. Yeah, that's it. You know, if she lives in that, that that'll have to do. I don't yeah. think anyone's looking down. Yeah, but, you know, it's not a bad battle laugh to do, is it? Yeah, it's not terrible. No. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I think you'll all agree. It's been a wonderful conversation. Jimmy Carr.
This podcast was brought to you by UKTV Play, the free on-demand service. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.